This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Okay, let's uh, let's have another word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you, Lord. Lord, uh, you bless us in so many ways, and Lord, you give us this privilege of uh, having your word and being able to come together and uh, worship, pray, study, Lord, and and enjoy fellowship. And Lord, we thank you most of all for your presence here with us in us. And Lord, we ask that You uh, help us to be mindful that You are here. That You are always with us. Lord, we ask that You enable us uh, tonight as uh, we conduct this study. Enable me to present the message You would have delivered, I pray, and enable all of us to hear and understand uh, what You're saying to us through Your Word. Lord, use it to separate us from the world more and more as we walk through this life. And Lord, uh, use it to draw us closer and closer to You. May our love for You increase. And may we be about Your business. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Just a couple of quick reminders on this, and like I said, we're going to be in chapter five tonight, First Timothy five. But just 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 for a moment, let's see here. If you would look back for a moment in three fifteen, just again, just a couple of quick quick reminders. And I've said several times as we've been going through here that uh, this is this is kind of the key verse of Paul's reason for writing. So I just want to read it once again here, and I'm and I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version here, um, just to kind of give you a heads up there, because normally I have the New King James. But here's uh, um, well, I'm gonna start reading verse 14, chapter three, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, and then, as we talked about the last few weeks, Paul goes on to describe um, godliness as the way in which we are to act, godliness is what we're to pursue, and uh, um, and we're going to see some further description of that tonight, as far as uh, practical ways. And this is really what I want us to have in mind here: practical ways of living out godliness in the church. He's written these things to instruct us how we are to act in the church. And as we've we've been seeing, as we go all the way, gone all the way through here, and it'll still be the same as we keep going. Um, we're getting the importance of the mixture of sound doctrine and godly living, and the two go hand in hand. It's not a it's not a, a one or the other. 
It takes both. Sound doctrine and godly living. Getting, getting the doctrine right is, is so important. But we have to be careful, don't we, not to, not to stress that to the point that um, we neglect um, living it. Neglect being godly. And then, on the other hand, sometimes there's a lot of emphasis on being godly, but uh, a lot of times the, 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 the whole understanding of it is off because the doctrine is not right. So, there's got to be that, that balance and that mixture of sound doctrine and godly living. So, that's what he's explaining to Timothy. That's what he's exhorting him uh, to do himself and also to command to the church to, to live godly. Uh, in this present age. And then he lays out all the way through here practical ways uh, in which that will be done. And we talked last uh, time or two about uh, um, just uh, how to achieve that. In other words, what, what can we do um, in order to, uh, to know what true godliness is and therefore to live it out? Well, he instructs Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And don't neglect, he tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift that you have uh, in you, the gift of God. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Uh, that's 4.15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching or doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I just want to just kind of give a reminder there that he's still got all these things in mind. He's not, he's not changing uh, directions here, but he's just going into real practical um, application here, uh, specifically for the, the congregation, for the church. So, chapter 5, verse 1, and uh, I think I'm, on, I'm going to read through verse... Boy, it's hard to... We're not going to make all of this uh, this section tonight, but it's it's kind of like kind of need to read the whole thing to, just to get the context. Um, let me read down to uh, verse sixteen. Like I say we we won't go nearly that far, but uh, a lot of it is is tied together. So, verse one through verse sixteen: Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, 
and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips, and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Okay. Um, we'll see how far we get tonight. But I know there's a lot of questions come up in that passage there, and we'll try to, try to deal with them as we, as we go. But let's go back, first of all, to the, uh, the uh, categories that Paul uh, points out, age categories here for, to start with. And what he's, what he's going to do is say, here's Timothy is how... Uh, you relate to these people and vice versa. You know, they relate to you. Here's how you relate to these people over here and they relate to you. And here's how you relate to these people over here. And he gives several different categories. And, and the key theme all, all the way through here is, is uh, honor. Giving honor to whom honor is due. For example, you look in, in uh, verse 3 again. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then you look down in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then you get over to uh, chapter 6, which we did not read, but chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So he gives these different groups and says, you know, here, here's how you relate to one another as Christians, as the household of God. I'm writing so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And the whole idea is godly living and, and honoring one another uh, in the right ways. And, and, and there will be some some uh, difference in application depending on who it is specifically that you're dealing with. So he starts out with the different age groups in, in uh, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So he's, he's telling Timothy... you. Don't, and the idea here is, is uh, uh, <clears throat> don't mistreat. Um, it's, it's not that there would, would never be a circumstance where an older man uh, would, would not be rebuked, but the idea is you don't do it harshly. You, you treat the older man as father. Now, let me, let me say this, because uh, if you've got, if you're looking at the King James, or New King James, it's going to say there, do not rebuke an elder. 
Do not rebuke an elder. Now, we've talked quite a bit about the, the, the function of elder in the church. So, I know this might be a, be a little confusing here, but I, but I want to uh, point this out. Why the, uh, for example, why does the uh, ESV and NIV translate that older man instead of elder? The word is presbyteros, which is where we get our word Presbyterian. Um, it's the same word, for example, over in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. All right? Um, oftentimes, the same word, it's not just the case with, with this word presbyteros, but oftentimes the same word is used in, in different contexts and therefore has different meanings. And that's, that's the idea here. The word is literally elder. But by, by the context, um, most have taken it to, to be a reference to older men in verse 1. Because he goes on to talk about younger men. Uh, you, you, tr- you treat the uh, elders as a father. You treat the younger men as brothers. And then he makes a reference to uh, older women which is also the, the same word. It's just the, the feminine form of the same word. Elder women. He tells Timothy, you treat them as mothers. And the younger women, you treat as sisters in all purity. No, no uh, inappropriateness. You, 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 you deal with them and love them like a sister. So he's talking about age categories. And... Elder men, younger men. And then verse 2, elder women, younger women. And so that's why some translations translate the word here, older man, because the idea is that Paul here is not talking about the office of elder. He's talking about literally elders, elderly men, in verse 1. Now, in verse 17, even though it's the same word, the context there suggests that he's talking about uh, what we would call the office of elder or pastor. Um, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So it's obvious there that he's not talking about all elder men uh, when he uses the term elders in verse 17. He's talking about those who labor in preaching and teaching, so that's why the different translations. So you got and you got the same thing over in uh, in First Peter. Same same type usages uh, talks about the office and another or the function you might say, and then another place uh, meaning literally elderly men. There's no distinction in the Greek. Is all I'm saying. So it's one one word uh, for el- for older man or elder, as in pastor. So you, so you have to determine which one it is by the context. So first he, he does the age groups, and uh, really not a lot of need for explanation here. It's pretty pretty simple, isn't it? He just says the older men you treat them like your father, you honor them, you honor them. The old the uh, elder women you you treat them like you would your mother. Same thing, you honor them, honor them. The uh, younger brother younger men you treat as brothers. And the younger women as sisters in all 
purity. Here's how the church is to act. It's it's not by uh, um, coincidence or whatever that he's using uh, familial terms. Church is a family. Family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the the, the rest of it um, gets a little more difficult. <laughs> it's got a few more challenges than uh, verses one and two do. All right. So then he goes on. He's, again, he's, he's giving instruction. Here's how you conduct yourself in the household of God. Here's how you uh, act. Here's how you relate to one another. Verse three. Now he moves to uh, another one of the subgroups. He mentions in uh, in this next section uh, widows, and then he goes on to talk about elders, as in the the function of elders or pastors, in other words. And then in chapter six, uh, he starts off there talking about how Christian slaves relate to their masters. So you got three more. Uh, groups there, subgroups. I say subgroups because all of these are Christians, in other words. He's saying, here's how you conduct yourself in the church, in the church of the living God. Here's how you relate to one another. And again, a key term is going to be honor. Honor. Because that's living out godliness. Verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows are Widows indeed. What what is a widow indeed, or what is a true widow? Paul says you give honor to widows who are truly widows, or who are widows indeed. What is that? Anybody want to answer that? If you've already read the text, what's, what's he? What's he? How's he differentiating? What's a true widow in in this context? Sorry? Destitute? There you go. Destitute. Exactly. Exactly. Truly destitute. And and, uh, my understanding is uh, this was especially common in the the first century. And uh, you see that, for example, in uh, Acts chapter 6 where they... Uh, they had a large number uh, in in the you know the church itself was was brand new then as such um, the New Testament church was brand new then and you get over to Acts six and first big problem that crops up is how to take care of the widows uh, in that culture uh, that was a big thing they didn't uh, uh, in the Roman world I, I think the uh, average lifespan was r- roughly around forty five anyway. So, I mean, people didn't live uh, a long time, a lot of times, and, and for whatever reason, and I think this is still the case, for whatever reason, uh, women tend to outlive men. And I think that statistics still show that today. So, uh, so this issue arose quickly in the uh, Jerusalem church. Now, this is the church at Ephesus, but obviously they have a similar... Similar situation, which again, I understand to have been common in that day. So what is a, what is a true widow or someone who's a widow truly? It's one who is destitute. One who has no family. She has nobody to care for her. And this, this is a, a, a an amazing thing. And it's something we, we should, 
give more thought to than we do a lot of times. We're, we, we, we've gotten used to, in our day and time, other people doing things for us. Um, for example, the state. Um, but the church is actually called as a covenant community to be responsible for one another in a very real way. And, uh, boy, it's hard to even do that justice to, for me to. It's, it's uh, you know, to say it rightly. It, it, we have such a responsibility to bear one another's burdens and to care for one another. And so when someone is truly destitute, especially the, the, uh, uh, the widows here is what Paul's describing, then it is the responsibility of the church to care for those widows who are truly destitute and who have uh, been and are faithful to the Lord. So he says, verse 4, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So he's simply saying, if, if the widow has a family, then it's, let her family take care of her. It's her family's responsibility to care for her uh, and return to her you know, something of what they received from her. And, and this is what's behind the, uh, the, uh, the commandment to honor your father and mother. It's not, it's not just to respect them, but to care for them when they get to the point that they can't care for themselves. And uh, Jesus uh, uh, uses that in Matthew 15 as an example of, of, a, of, a, of a commandment that the, that the Jewish leaders of His day were ignoring. Um, honor your father and your mother. It was very, very serious business with God. And uh, so is caring for widows and orphans. And so, uh, it's, it's the responsibility of the church, simply what Paul is saying. You honor them. Again, not just meaning respect them, but you, you care for them. You, you provide for them, those who are truly destitute. And then he goes on to give more description about what a true widow is. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow left all alone, and that's a descriptive phrase there, so in other words, like, uh, like we were just saying, it's, it's someone who's destitute, has no family. She is truly a widow, or a widow indeed, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, he, he, again, he's describing, when he's saying the church has a responsibility to care for destitute widows, He's also putting some qualifiers there saying, I'm talking about widows who uh, have been and are faithful to the Lord. Um, they're, they're not, uh, as he goes on to say, we'll see in a minute, not busybodies and things of that nature, but uh, women who spend their time um, praying and, uh, and serving the saints. Uh, let me read you another Translation of that. In verse 5, it puts the idea across uh, well. 
about the praying and the supplication. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. So, in other words, she's, she's relying upon God and, you know, she's confessing that, living that. This is a widow indeed. Her time is spent in prayer and supplications night and day. And then uh, he gives the uh, antithesis of that, verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well. Now, we've seen several times, Paul says, command these things, command these things. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. So, so now he's, he's moved over into some more practical areas and he says to Timothy, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. So that they'll, so that they'll live godly as well and be unblameable in these things. Again, that's the goal in all of this. Timothy, you be godly. You set an example. So that everybody can see your progress and you command them these things that I'm commanding you so that they can live godly and uh, and be without reproach. And so that through it all, uh, God is honored. Verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I think there's a principle there that we may come back to later. Right now, I want to kind of stay focused on the widows thing. But let me just let me just say this, um, uh, because this is an often quoted verse, and I, I think rightly so. Um, just just like we're talking about the church's responsibility to to uh, care for one another, um, part of living a godly Life is uh, living up to or meeting our responsibilities uh, in, in our families, in the church, uh, in these various relationships. So here, he, for example, he mentions work. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's quite a statement. Quite a statement. We'll probably uh, deal with that some in our in our uh, manhood and womanhood class as well. But again, specifically here, the idea is caring for widows. And he's saying if a, if a family won't do that, if, if, a, if a widow has family, but they refuse to take care of her, then uh, they're denying the faith and, and worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9, trying to see how much time we got left here because this, this, this was a tough one too. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Um, King James says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years, in other words, 60 years old. What number? Or as I just read in the ESV, uh, it uses the term the list. Well, what list are we talking about here? Let, let a, verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Enrolled in what? 
What list are we talking about? What number are we talking about? <laughs> well, I think, uh, again, judging by the context of what he's talking about, is the list of widows that the church cares for being be enrolled in on the list of widows that the church takes responsibility for. And so he lays down some guidelines. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and have a, rep, and have a re, reputation for good works. And as I mentioned before, all of this, all of these things that he's talking about, he's, he's talking about godly living, and certainly uh, uh, that phrase there bears that out. She must have a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Um, again, talking specifically about widows, but doing good works applies to all of us, doesn't it? Be devoted to good works. Verse 11, but refuse to enroll on the list of widows that you care for, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former fate. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So there he gives examples of ungodly living and those that he does not consider to be widows uh, in truth. Verse 14, So, Paul says, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So here again, you've got uh, examples of godly living. In this case, um, for the younger women. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened. And there he's just reiterating that uh, the church's responsibility kicks in when... Uh, the widow is truly destitute. But if she has family, uh, let, the church, let the family care for her and the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Um, <clears throat> that's just wisdom. I mean, th- think about that just for a moment. Suppose we had a... Uh, there's no way uh, that we would, but suppose we had a, a perfect screening system as a nation, suppose we had a perfect screening system on our welfare system and uh, there was nobody on welfare who didn't need to be. Now, if that were the case, that's, of course, perfect world scenario, but if, if that were the case, there would be probably, there would probably be very few people complaining about welfare. All I'm saying is the reason you hear a lot of people complaining about our welfare system now is because we know, don't we, that 
a lot of money is getting wasted, either through the bureaucracy or because there are people receiving checks who are able-bodied and ought to be working. But most people don't really mind helping people that are truly in need. And, and that's one reason uh, the waste infuriates people, because you want the money to go to people who really need it. And so that's all Paul is saying there. Um, if these widows have family, let the family care for them so that the church is not burdened, so that the church may care for those who are truly widows, so that they can use their resources uh, for people who truly, truly need it. Um, and these are very practical and like I say, we've got more to go. You know, how to, how to, how to, how to honoring elders, uh, how to, how servants honor their, uh, slaves rather, honor their masters, which is, of course, applicable to us. If we work on, a, you know, for somebody, work on a job, how do you relate to your boss? How does a Christian boss relate to the people who work under him? These are just very, very, very practical ways to, uh, to live godliness. To put uh, Christ on display for the world. All right. Any questions on that? That's a lot right there. I know it. I know it is. There's a lot in those verses. All right. Well, let's pray and we'll, and we'll dismiss. Father, we do thank you for your word. I thank you for your. Your people. Thank you for the fellowship, Father, that we enjoy with one another. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of uh, literally being able to have uh, just countless uh, numbers of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ. And Lord, uh, we pray that you uh, remind us and enable us to show true godliness. Uh, through our care for one another, through our care for those in need, and Lord, through our uh, efforts in reaching the lost, so that in all of it, uh, we are faithful in, in uh, putting Your grace on display for the world, and so that it results in You being honored and glorified. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.